The following audio is from Steadfast Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Steadfast Church or to partner with us on mission, visit steadfastavl.org. So let's look at the letter. And the first thing, uh, the first point, if you're a note taker, uh, and I know I've said a lot before you even get to the first point, that's a, that's a bad sign. Uh, we'll be here for a while. No, just kidding. Um, first point, commendation. What, what does Jesus say in commendation for this church? So it begins in verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, now, I don't want to make too big of a deal about this word angel. Uh, commentators take it a, a couple of different ways. It is the word that is normally used in the New Testament for angel. Uh, but it can also just simply mean messenger. So some people have speculated that there's an angel for each church, each local church, kind of a protective angel. Um, or could just be written to the messenger or the pastor of that church. I don't think we need to make a determination because it's quite obvious that the content of the letter is meant to be read and understood by the church. Okay? So to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, this is the, the part where Christ is identified. In every letter, it begins with an identify, identifying characteristics of Jesus Christ. In this case, he holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. All of these descriptors come from chapter 1. So I urge you, on your own, to read chapter 1 and you'll be able to make those connections. But the seven golden lampstands refers to the seven churches. So Jesus Christ is identified as the one who holds the seven stars, the seven angels slash messengers, and walks among the lampstands, meaning that he is the Lord and caretaker of the church. That's who's writing to Ephesus. Now it goes on to say, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. Now, each of these letters begins with that word, I know. I know what you're doing. Now, there are several things that, that Jesus points out that he knows and um, commends them for. So first, he says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. Think of those three terms. Your works. This is a people that are doing good works in the power of Jesus Christ. I know your works. I know your toil, your labor. If you were to ask, if you were to ask our staff, um, if you were to ask Kristen in, in, the, in the children's wing, what do you need? If you were to ask Matt, what do you need? I think the answer would be the same. I need workers. This church doesn't have that problem. They have workers. They have people willing to serve. 
And then he says, I know your patient endurance. He repeats that later. They're hanging in there. Here they are living in a city of of hostility against the, the way, hostility against the Christian faith. And yet this people is enduring. They're hanging in there. They're they're not giving up their faith. Now he goes on to commend them and says, I know how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. In other words, this is a church that understands correct doctrine. And they have put people to the test that anybody who stands up and says, well, I'm an apostle of Christ. This church has said, wait a minute, let's check. Let's see, are you preaching the right gospel? Do you have the the right understanding of biblical truth? This is a doctrinally pure congregation. In verse 6, if you drop down there, um, he throws in another thing here. a word of commendation, where he says, yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, we don't know a lot about the Nicolaitans. Let me rephrase it. Excuse me. Let me rephrase that. We don't know anything about the Nicolaitans other than apparently that was a group that was false, teaching a false doctrine or, or promoting false practices. And so what Jesus is saying to this church is you put all these people to the test and you find, you find who's false and you are upholding good doctrine. Now, verse 3, he continues and says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary. Once again, that patient endurance, that standing strong in a society that is hostile to the way, they are remaining strong. Now, as we look at these things, we look at their deeds, their works, their endurance, their their, uh, standing up against false doctrine.
seat. So feel the weight of that. I have this against you. And what does he have against you? He says, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Some translations, and this is actually more literal, you have abandoned your first love. I love what we sang today in Be Thou My Vision. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. Those are the words of a person who has Jesus Christ as his first love. And this church had abandoned that. From all outward appearances, this was a thriving church. Good deeds, lots of workers, pure doctrine, all of these things. And yet, they had abandoned their first love. In other words, all these things that they were doing, they weren't doing out of the right motivation. They weren't doing out of the right passion. They had lost that passion to Christ. But they kept on working and they kept on doing. They kept on standing for sound doctrine. But their love had grown cold. Uh, this happens sometimes in marriages. Uh, there, was a, uh, there was a time, one time I came home opened the door, and, and my dog, Shadow, barked. And Carolyn said, never mind, Shadow. It's just Daddy. Nothing to get excited about. <laughs> and I thought, well, the bloom is off the rose, you know. And, and uh, I, guess, I guess this is where we are now, you know. All right. Sometimes, I mean, we're still married. We're still, thank goodness. I was meaning that more editorially, we. You, you and your spouse, okay. So sometimes, you know, you get to that point, you're still married and you're doing the right things and so on, but there's just a spark that's missing. Same thing happens in our relationship to Christ. You sign up to serve. Maybe you sign up to teach kids in the children's wing. And at first you're real excited about it and you're seeing fruit and you're just, you're seeing this feeling of, of yes, I, this is what I'm meant to do. But then after a while it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll go. And you put on a brave face and you keep serving, you keep doing. And, and Jesus Christ is looking at that and he's going, you know what? I see that you're serving, but I don't have your heart. As a church, this can be our problem. As individuals, this can be your problem. That you have abandoned, you have left your first love, that you have, you have 
let that, those embers die down. Now, what, what does he mean here, first love? Is he talking about love for God? Love for the gospel? Love for Jesus Christ? Love for other people? How about all these things? John, who, who is writing this, wrote to us earlier in 1 John that if you say, I love God, but you hate your brother, how can the love of God be in you? So all these things are tied together. Jesus said the first commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I always found that interesting because they only ask for the greatest commandment. And he gives two. Because all the law and the prophets hang on those two commandments. Loving God, loving others. Jesus says in Matthew as he was looking to the future, he said, because, of, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. And that's what happens to us sometimes. That love, that passion, that motivation, that thing that drives us, the love that we have for God that issues forth in love for his people, love for the world, love for the gospel, that love has grown cold. And all their activity was fueled by momentum and a sense of duty, but not love. Has your love for God and his people grown cold this morning? Have you been in a rut? Have you been in a, in a sense of, I'm just kind of moving along here? I'm... I'm I'm in habit rather than passion and love and, and I'm not thinking so much of Christ as my one and only treasure but other things have crept in and taken my attention and other things have, have taken my passion. Well, let's go on to the third point here and that is correction. All of these letters, and, and by the way, not every letter has commendation. Some of these churches are in pretty bad shape. And not every letter has criticism. Some of these churches are doing pretty well. But Ephesus is one of those with a lot of positive, but a very key negative. But what's the, what's the correction? Verse 5 says this. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. There's three parts to his corrective words to this church. To the answer, what if you have lost your first love? What if, if your passion for Christ no longer burns brightly? What do you do? First, you remember. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. And basically, 
It's come back, come back to that time. Come back to that state where your love for Jesus burned hottest. And where's that going to be? It's going to be near the cross. Come back to the truths of the gospel. There was a time, probably for all of us who are in Christ, where we were just blown away by the fact that God loves me. How can that be? I'm such a wretched sinner. I, I don't deserve. In fact, you coming to Christ needs that feeling, that, that understanding that we are all wretched sinners in Christ. We deserve nothing. We deserve punishment, wrath, judgment. And Jesus Christ comes along, lives the perfect life that we cannot live, the sin-free life, he dies a death in our place, taking the, the penalty of our sin upon himself. And then he says, all you need to do to have, have the benefit of that life and that death is to receive it by faith. To, to open your empty hand, not bring any works, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And there was a time when that truth ignited your soul. You need to come back to that. Now that's one of the things that we do each week in communion. We come back in remembrance of the body of Christ broken for us. The blood of Christ shed for us. But you know what? Even that can become just rote and automatic and we don't think about it. I encourage you, brothers and sisters, even today as you come to the table, that you come believing, you come holding, clinging to, continuing to cling to his body and his blood. And let that fuel your passion. He says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. But then the second thing he says to correct them is to Repent. Now this is a great old word. Repent. Unfortunately, often not spoken in our churches today. The doctrine of repentance, the word literally means a change of mind. But don't think of it like, you know, just some flippant change of mind like okay you convinced me it was holding in the Super Bowl a change of mind that that permeates the core of our being that then affects the whole life that's repentance it's coming face to face with your sin and, and perhaps today God is speaking to you through his word and you're going yeah, you know what? I just, I've left my first love. Good. Let that conviction work on you. Thomas Watson in the 1600s said that repentance involves seeing your sin, 
having sorrow for it, confessing it, hating it, and turning from it. It's at that point of hating your sin is where we often just stop. We have a sense of sorrow. Oftentimes it's sorrow that we've been caught or, or there's consequences to our sin. But if we get to the point where we say, you know, I just hate this. That's when God can begin to work. That's when you can turn from it. There is no repentance unless you intend to turn from it. Now, we speak of the gospel. It's real easy at this point to say, okay, man, this is tough. I'm just glad that the gospel covers my sins. Okay, not a bad thought. But if, the, if those thoughts about the gospel are causing you to, to minimize repentance from your sin as the Spirit brings it to your, to your mind, that's not the gospel. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. The fact that God is, is merciful to us and forgiving and loving to us doesn't keep us from, okay, well then I don't need to repent. That is, just, that is just as unchristian an attitude as I can think of. If God is convicting you this morning, then repent. Come to him. Now, the third thing he says here is do the works you did at first. And real quickly, I just want to point this out. Now, Matt Chandler uh, did a message on, on this and pointed out, I thought this was a good connecting of the dots. Uh, I'm going to go back to, to the book of Acts. You don't have to turn there, but I'll just read it. This is Acts um, chapter 19, uh, verses 17 to 20. And as we think about what Jesus is saying to Ephesus, return to the works you did at first. Think about this. This is what happened in Acts. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and indulging, uh, divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. Chandler pointed out they did three things. God was feared and extolled. The triune God was lifted up as great and holy. The second thing they did is they developed a, 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 a culture of confession where it says they confess their sins and divulge their practices. And the third thing they did is that they destroyed their idols. If you have left your first love. You need to come back to the holiness of God, the greatness of God. Jesus Christ needs to be extolled for you so that he is great and mighty and the Lord of the church, the Lord of your life. You need to confess your sins. Sometimes that does involve 
talking with one another, but confessing, bringing it out into the open, saying the same thing about your sin that God says about it, and then destroying those idols. What, is, what, has, come in, what has become your first love? If it's not Jesus Christ, what is it? Destroy that idol. That's an idol to you. Any kind of revival begins with those three things. A recognition that God is great, confession of sin, and destruction of idols. Now, as we wrap up here, let's just finish what he says here in, in Revelation. Verse 7. Uh, no, let's finish uh, verse 5. Do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now these are sobering words, brothers and sisters. God, Jesus Christ, Lord of the church, will remove the lampstand. This can mean nothing more than the destruction of that church. The destruction of any kind of witness in that, in that place. This series is called Witness and Warning. And the warning is this, that, that unless we follow Jesus, and unless we are in a continual state of repentance before him, openness, and we keep, our, we keep ourselves fresh before him, he says, I'll remove the lampstand. Now, God has done some great things among us in the last year. Amen? Amen. I mean, I, who would have thought a year ago that we'd be at this place? God has done some great things. But that's no guarantee for the future. And I believe that on, especially here in the South, in the Bible Belt, we have churches on every corner. And why are we wanting to plant more churches if there's so many churches? It's because all these churches, so many of them, have no witness to the gospel. The lampstand is gone. And I think sometimes God in his judgment, because his church is not doing the things that that he wants the church to do, God allows us to go on, but in kind of a hollow, ineffectual, ineffectual manner. We exist as a church by the grace of God, and there's no guarantee, unless we are faithful to him, that this will continue. So I hope your prayer today is, is both individually and corporately that we keep our first love. He ends with this in verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is repeated in all seven letters. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. To the one who conquers... 
I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now that last statement, that covenant to the one who conquers, those words and those phrases come from the last chapters, the last three chapters of the book of Revelation. And so there's talk about the tree of life and the paradise of God. And to the one who overcomes, if we overcome, we will celebrate in glory. Won't that be amazing? That in glory, there will be people that we may not even know on the earth, but they say, you know, because of your faithfulness, because of your love for Christ that, that resulted in service and work, because of that, I came to Jesus Christ way over in Tanzania, way over in Honduras, way over in East Asheville. All these things God can do if we are faithful and if he is our first love. I want to put three questions up on the, the screen for you to think about as we come into our time of response. The first question is this. What do we do well as a church? And individually, what would I be commended for? You know, I, I, don't, think it's, I don't think it's wrong to think about the things that we are doing well. Okay? So what do we do well? What do I do well? Second question. I have this against you. How would Jesus fill in the blank? If that doesn't fill, fill me with a sense of sorrow, then I need to pray for sorrow. I need to pray for getting to that point. I have this against you. How would, how would Jesus fill in that blank? And, and third, how can remembering Christ's love for me rekindle my heartfelt love for him? That's the thing we need to do today. We need to focus on the great love of Jesus Christ how ill-deserving we were and how great his love was for us. And that needs to bring us to a place where, where our first love is rekindled. Now we're going to go to a time of, of response, uh, beginning with communion. And communion, as I said, is one of the best places that you can come and remember Christ's great love for you. But we talked last week about prayer and breaking our hearts before the Lord. I want to encourage us to, if you feel so led, to do something a little bit different today. But as you come forward for communion, after you take uh, the elements, uh, the bread and the cup, you are welcome to come down here to the front. Nothing special about this place, but to kneel before God. And meet God where you are. Ask God to meet you. 
And so if you would like during communion to receive your elements and then, and then come here, kneel down, pray for a little while, I want to encourage you to do that if God so leads. Uh, if no one comes, that's fine too. You don't have to. You can be praying in that, in that spirit of prayer at your seat. So we're going to come. There will be four stations, as, um, as you may uh, are starting to get used to right now. Uh, four couples will be serving you. Uh, we will start in the back. Um, we'll have a moment of, of silence and prayer. And then when I get up uh, to the table, that'll signal that the tables are open. So let's start in the back. Work, uh, work your way down row, row by row. Um, as you receive the elements at either of these uh, four aisles, then just exit to, your, uh, to the outside aisle so you can come back and return uh, to your seat. There are uh, offering boxes in the back if you want to uh, give connect cards uh, that you can fill out. If you're, if you're new with us, you want to be known, uh, you can fill that out. If you have a prayer request any, for anyone and you want, uh, want us to pray for you, we would be uh, happy to do that. So I'm going to pray, then we'll have a, a, a few moments of silence, and then uh, when I get up, the tables will be open. All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time in your word. And I just pray, Lord, that your your spirit would move among us today. Lord, convict us where we have left our first love. Where our love to you has grown cold. Lord, give us a spirit of repentance today. Give us a spirit of freshness in you Ignite our hearts, Lord, to love you more. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.